Welcome to episode 30 of the Pursuing Endurance podcast. This week, we're going to be chatting about 10 things that I have learned in 10 years of eating disorder remission. So it's a little bit of a personal one. But I hope that this episode is helpful for you, whether you are in your own recovery process or in another area of life. Without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to the Pursuing Endurance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah LaCourse, a certified personal trainer and sports nutritionist with a degree in psychology who emphasizes the importance of focusing on the long game. Let's be real, endurance doesn't just pertain to sports, it's anything we endure as humans. Here on the podcast, we will dive into topics ranging from sport, mainly of the mountain endurance variety, to entrepreneurship, to eating disorder recovery. Oftentimes, these pursuits will feel like climbing a mountain, even if it's a metaphorical one. I'm here to have conversations around embracing the process of enduring hard things and exploring the gray area that often comes with this. I'm stoked to have you here. Let's jump in. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Pursuing Endurance podcast. I am really psyched that this is the third episode back post unintended hiatus, and it's feeling really good to be back hopping on the mic on a somewhat-ish schedule. And also, episode 30. 30 episodes feels like a really big deal, and I'm so excited to be back doing this, back recording, because it really is, as I always say, such a wonderful creative outlet for me. And I also love bringing this content to all of you who listen, so thanks for tuning in. If you missed the last two episodes or are new here, hi, welcome back, or welcome, love to have you. We are definitely not on any type of regular schedule at the moment. Pretty much it's like every three weeks right now, and you know what, I'm okay with this. At this point, as long as I'm releasing episodes on a semi-regular basis, we're good. We'll grow from here. Part of what held me back from getting back into recording was definitely feeling like I couldn't be consistent, and I realized that at the end of the day, I just want to be recording, and so here we are making that happen. And it will probably get more consistent as I get back into it, but it's kind of new again. And so here we are in this season of life. So today's episode is going to be a rather quick one, rather to the point. I say this, but also... We all know I'm long-winded and love a side tangent, so we'll see how quick it actually is. And first things first, just a little quick disclaimer. If you actively struggle with or have struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating, please only listen to this episode if it will be supportive for you and your own human experience. And also, you are more than welcome to turn it off at any point and come back for the next or another episode. While this episode is very much through a positive lens, these topics can still be challenging to listen to, so please take care of you. In this episode, we are going to be chatting about 10 things or 10 lessons that I have learned in 10 years of eating disorder remission, so it's very much a personal one. There are definitely more than 10, but 10 felt appropriate being a decade into this process. And on that, I hope that this is helpful for you, whether you yourself are in your own recovery process or in another area of life because in my personal opinion, many of these lessons are transferable. And before we dive on in, just to provide a little bit of background, I am currently about 10 and a half years in remission from anorexia. 
I prefer the term remission versus long-term recovery or recovered for my own personal experience and invite you to use the term that sits right with you. I'll use a combination of these terms throughout the episode as I do tend to use them synonymously. And I have explained why I used the term remission before. I think it was in episode four, but I'm going to cover it again as it's been a hot minute. So I personally prefer saying that I am in remission from an eating disorder for a few reasons. One of which is my own experience with chronic pain and chronic illness, mainly endometriosis, and also seeing a close family member deal with chronic pain and chronic illness from a young age, and the coming in and out of different states of healing or symptom presentation, and how this felt very similar, and how it does feel very similar, to the process of coming out of an eating disorder while also still remembering it and having that be a part of me. And then also, my educational background is psychology and neuroscience and understanding the brain and neuroscience and neurochemistry and all of the many layers there. And then for me, with my eating disorder experience beginning at such a young age, around 11 years old, and then being something that I struggled with for about a decade, it has really ingrained some stuff into my brain and body. And it's taken a lot of work. And as you'll hear, it's still work. And still something that I'm aware of. And because of this, I know or I feel that there's always a possibility of relapse, even though this definitely, in my personal opinion and in my personal experience, seems to be less and less the further out from the experience that I am and the further into recovery or remission that I am. And so this is also part of why I prefer the term remission because For me and my experience, the word recovered just feels more like a final destination, even though I know how I present is probably the same way that somebody who uses the term recovered presents, if that makes sense, like absence of symptoms, not having adverse consequences, not utilizing the eating disorder for coping or whatever the reason. All of these things, it's just that I personally prefer the term remission because it sits right based on my experience with chronic pain and illness paired with my educational background. And so if I were to boil it down and give a quick explanation of how I explain my experience, it would be that throughout the recovery process from anorexia, I have found myself in a position where I feel in remission from it and that my recovery process began about 10 and a half years ago. And this is not to knock anyone who uses another term. I want to be super clear on that. All of these are valid, remission, in recovery, recovered. And I think at the end of the day, it truly comes down to what sits right or feels right for the individual and their own experience. So I just wanted to cover that again, as it's been a minute since I've explained my preferred terminology. And I do receive that question often. So now I can say I've covered it again. Let's now get into the 10 lessons that I have learned in the last decade. Some of these are probably cliche, and to be honest, I don't really care because they are still true and valid and lessons which I have learned and therefore am sharing here. Also, after each of these, I will share a little bit of my own experience just for context, and this is of course very personal, so take what resonates and leave the rest. I'm going to speak on my experience in a factual manner and do my best to not put information out there in a manner that is comparative because this can definitely happen. So essentially, take it if it works for you or it's helpful for you and leave it if it doesn't. Let's get into it. Number one, and also these are not in any particular order. So 
Just keep that in mind. The first one is that it is a process of chapters or levels. You can use either of these. I kind of use both. You will get the sense that I like to use multiple words that I just use synonymously. Anyways, let's say that there are 20 levels and this is an arbitrary number. And when entering level one, you might know about levels two through four. So you know that they exist. Maybe not exactly what's going to happen in them, but that they exist. But maybe you don't know that there's a level five, for example. I think that the recovery process, at least for me, has been a lot of this. It's knowing that, okay, I have these couple of things that I want to work on. And then maybe once I feel better about those, I will work on these other things. So that would be like the next level. But as I keep progressing, I keep finding more levels or more chapters to delve into. It's kind of one of those instances where you don't know what you don't know. And this is kind of a beautiful thing because I think that if you were to see everything that is ahead of you, and this is true for all of us with any experience in life, it's really overwhelming or it would have the potential to be really overwhelming and maybe just stop us in our tracks. And so if we can kind of keep growing slowly, keep unfolding, keep finding these new things to work on, it really allows the process to happen. And as this process goes, you keep learning about you and your needs and keep gaining more tools and more skills to keep taking on the next chapter. All right, number two, your health might take time to come back and it might not fully come back. And this one kind of sucks. Eating disorders can have significant physical and mental downstream effects or consequences. And while some of these can be mitigated or healed, unfortunately, this is not always the case. And there is a huge range of various physical or mental health effects or consequences that can happen with eating disorders, and I'm not going to get into all of them. But I will share my own personal experience and kind of how these physical consequences did show up for me. And so there's kind of two primary ways that these showed up in my life. The first is that I dealt with hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is loss of the menstrual cycle. And then the other is having low bone density or osteopenia, which that one is something that I still struggle with and probably always will because I am now 30 and growing bone gets a lot harder as you get older. And so these are two things that really did affect me. The loss of the menstrual cycle and all of the hormonal disturbances that come with that and also low bone density. I've had a handful of stress fractures with this and there are obviously other things that kind of come into play there and it's been like six or seven years since I've had one and I'm really proud of myself for the work that I've done and for allowing my body to trust me. And so circling back, osteopenia is something that I will probably continue to deal with and manage. And then I did deal with hypothalamic amenorrhea. And as I said, there are many different physical consequences, which may or may not be permanent. And this is why it is also important to, if at all possible, because also, yes, access to care is a real problem. If you can seek out medical help, which also has its own flaws. But if you are able to find a provider to work with, please do. And I'll just mention something that may or may not be helpful or motivational for folks that might be dealing with getting their health back or managing something longer term. 
maybe this can be a motivator for continuing the process of recovery and staying in this process or staying in remission is to really begin to value your health and try to support our bodies. I know for me, this has been really helpful. So maybe that is a mindset that you might find beneficial. All right, let's move on to number three. The recovery process is different for everyone and it will look different for everyone. There is no definitive timeline and no best approach to recovery or healing from an eating disorder and entering longer-term recovery or remission. All of this is going to be individual based on your experience, based on your needs, based on your access to care, based on your background. There's so many factors. Those are just some of them. At the end of the day, the recovery process, though, it is for you. And if at all possible, make it work for you and be beneficial for you based on whatever your own needs are and what approach you think is going to be the most helpful. This absolutely ties into the access to care issue, which includes insurance coverage, also depending on somebody's financial status. And then if you're able to find a therapist and other medical providers who specialize or are knowledgeable around eating disorders and disordered eating, because that can be very beneficial for treatment, minimizing stigma, and allowing you to feel seen, heard, and respected by your providers, which is a very helpful thing. And so going back to how this process is different for everybody and there is no one-size-fits-all approach, for me personally, I was in and out of outpatient therapy for years, which did help, and I was grateful to have a therapist who specialized in eating disorders early on. And while at the time I was definitely very resistant to treatment and recovery, years later I have that to reflect on, which has been very beneficial for me. And when I relapsed in 2012, I ended up going into a IOP program, which is intensive outpatient. And this was to date the worst place that I had found myself in from an eating disorder perspective. And even here, 10 and a half years later, I firmly believe that this was the best decision for me and my experience going into an intensive outpatient program combined with the other things that I was doing in my life. So I had the privilege to be able to go into an IOP program that allowed me to still stay in college, take courses, and also work two part-time jobs. I was babysitting a couple of mornings a week, getting kids on the bus, and then I was working one of the weekend days. So I literally do not think going into a different style of treatment would have worked for me because I needed to be able to integrate this process into my life. And on that, I am not saying that other treatment styles, other treatment modalities do not work or are not necessary because they are, especially if somebody is medically unstable. That is not something to mess around with. But for me and my experience, this is what worked for me, so I'm sharing it. And at the end of the day, Like I've said, we are all different and this is a wonderful thing. And if you have a spidey sense that something could be a helpful approach for you and your healing or growth, I invite you or encourage you to maybe lean into that and explore it as an option if possible. Alrighty, number four, you are worthy of receiving. This is a big one. This is like recent years for me. 
receiving support, receiving help, receiving love, receiving care. On one hand, there is giving, so giving support, providing help, loving, caring, but we also deserve to receive that as well. It's like this equilibrium. And for much of my life, I have been a do it all myself kind of human until I can't, and then I just kind of burn out. And I still absolutely have this tendency because receiving for me is one of the hardest things. And so, yes, this is still a struggle for me, and it is something that I am actively trying to practice, although it is rather uncomfortable, I will be honest. And one of the ways that I'm practicing receiving is not only cluing in the inner circle in my life of what's going on, but also allowing them to support me in the process of whatever is going on. And this is going to look different for everybody, but... I would just say to remember that you are worthy of receiving in whatever way you need it and to not feel bad about that either. And while it might feel easier to do it all by ourselves all of the time to just cover all of our own needs, maybe there's a different approach. Alrighty, number five, you are your own biggest advocate, especially when it comes to your overall health and needs, your physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, if that's a thing for you, all of it. Nobody is taking this role. We are our own biggest advocates. Sure, the inner circle, our friends, our family, those that care about us can absolutely help us in advocating for ourselves. But at the end of the day, we are our own biggest advocates. And I don't think that we are inherently skilled at advocating for ourselves or our needs and that this is a skill to be cultivated and practiced. And the more we do it, the easier it comes, maybe. Personally, I actually really learned a lot about this recently with my journey with endometriosis and getting a diagnosis for endometriosis as this took a lot of advocating for myself. However, I definitely did begin advocating for myself, especially with my IOP treatment experience and really leaning into what approach was going to work best for me based on my needs and how I operate as a human being. But I became more aware of this when dealing with the diagnostic process for endometriosis, and I'm appreciative for my earlier years in advocating for myself and kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with that. Advocating for ourselves can be really scary and difficult to do because it might be something that we really have never done before or we don't have experience with. And I would say that if deep down you have some internal cue of needs that are not being met or needs that you are ignoring, maybe trying to support them, lean into that and speak up for yourself and your needs if you feel like you are able to do this or that it is safe to do so. And then also, don't be hard on yourself for not advocating for yourself. Awareness is just one part of this, and the doing or the putting it into practice is another, and it might take time because it can be very uncomfortable, especially if it is something we really have never done for ourselves. So give yourself a little grace. If this is new to you, it's a process. Okay, number six, learning what embodiment is and leaning into this and developing a relationship with my body. So this is kind of a interesting lesson that I'm going to have to explain. 
One of my favorite quotes that I have heard or read around embodiment is that, quote, embodiment is the way we are in the world and our embodiment is heavily influenced by who we have been allowed to be, end quote. This is from Hillary McBride. Hillary McBride is one of my favorite humans that talks about embodiment. She has a PhD and is a therapist and has a book, The Wisdom of Your Body, which I highly recommend checking out if you are curious about this. And embodiment for me is something that I began learning about a couple of years ago, probably 2019, 2020, if I had to guess. And this process has really allowed me to develop a different type of relationship with my body. And I will also add that around this time, I began learning about somatic work and the experience of our body and how our bodies can hold emotions and experiences. And then this can show up in different ways. And so these kind of intertwined and have both allowed me to help change this relationship with my body and create a different relationship with my body. And just to go over a couple of things that I have personally found to be very beneficial on creating a healthier and more sustainable relationship with myself and my body. One is language. And for me, this shows up as calling my body a her or referencing her as this part of me instead of saying it. So instead of saying, I need to feed it, I can say, I need to feed her. Or instead of saying, it's doing its best job to support me, or my body is doing its job to support me, I say, she's doing her job to support me. It just allows me to have a healthier relationship with myself, mind and body. And then really allowing myself to have a relationship with my body versus just having a body. Because the mind-body connection is a very real thing. And we have this awareness of our bodies. And I kind of think of this sometimes as like proprioception, mainly because of my work as a strength coach and personal trainer. So where our body is in space, which also kind of links back to my competitive jump rope days, because I had to be very aware of this. And I'm very aware of my body in this capacity and then also on the level of chronic pain with endometriosis and having most often daily pain. And so beginning to develop this relationship with my body versus just saying like, oh, I have this thing that's uncomfortable and instead leaning into it a little bit more and seeing if my body has any wisdom that she can give me any clues or cues that she can provide me with that will allow me to best support her. Because at the end of the day, my body is like my little human vessel and how I get to experience life and I would like to best support her. And listening to our bodies can be a really challenging thing, especially in this society when we are often being told to like objectify our bodies and not really be in tune with them and shut them out and change their size or their shape or the way that we look. And so being able to actually tune in and to listen to what your body is telling you is kind of a superpower in my opinion. And it can be really beneficial in the recovery process. And it's challenging to do. So again, give yourself a little grace. 
Alrighty, number seven. If you find something that helps save you, find a way to include it in your life. For me, these include hiking, writing, my business, and creative outlets. Hiking for me is a big one. I found hiking back in 2016. Thank you, Amy. I'm just going to call you out here because you literally changed my life and you know that. If I had not started hiking, my life would be very different. So I was a pre-med student and intended on going that route and ended up finding hiking and started to just develop this different relationship with my mind and body and knew innately that I had a different calling or purpose in my life and just started following it. And I don't want to get into this story in this podcast because it's going to get very long, but essentially hiking did actually change my life and I think it also saved me. And outside of hiking, the other things that really help me are writing. I love writing, journaling, writing stories, poetry, short form, long form. These are all things that really allow me to connect with myself and tune in a little bit more and make sense of my experience. But I also enjoy sharing writings as well because just like the podcast, I enjoy helping other folks if I can. And then my business is something that really helps because it gives me flexibility, which is something that for me as a human is just utmost importance. And this is even more so with dealing with endometriosis and chronic illness because having flexibility allows me to feel a little bit more safe. And this also then helps me in my recovery process and staying in remission because I just feel like I can support myself a little bit more. And then having different creative outlets, which the podcast is the big one here. And if you have been listening, you know, I just absolutely love podcasting, which if I didn't, I'm pretty sure we would not have 30 episodes at this point. So we're just going to keep doing it because it brings me joy. And so I would invite you to find some things that help you and find a way to include some of them, if not all of them in your life. All right. Number eight, being honest can be terrifying and it can also set you free. Being honest is a scary thing. And I think that, you know, maybe it is kept to your inner circle or the humans that you are the closest to or you feel the safest with. But being honest with people can be a very powerful thing because it allows you to be seen and maybe supported and allow you to receive, perhaps. For me, this is still very much a practice and it might never be easy. It probably never will be because if we have stuff going on for us that feels hard to share, it's probably not going to feel like sunshine and rainbows to share it. And then I also think that there is a difference between being open about your experiences. So things that you have gone through, things that have happened, and then being vulnerable or a little bit more open around it and sharing how you feel about it or maybe what you're still experiencing or working on as a human. I have personally been rather quote unquote good at sharing, hey, I've experienced this. I've worked through this. This is in the past. Like I'm doing that in this podcast episode. I guess I'm kind of doing a little bit of both. 
But in my personal life with my friends and close relationships, I feel safer sharing things that I've been through and kind of making them a little bit more factual versus sharing things that I'm still working through. And I think that the more we can lean into the latter, maybe the more we can grow, even though it's absolutely terrifying. For me, I think this one is always going to be a practice, but it is something that I have found to be beneficial that when I am honest, although it's terrifying, it does ultimately set me free a little bit and allow things to feel a little bit lighter. Okay, number nine, it gets easier and it's still hard sometimes. I have been finding things easier in the past couple of years, I would say mainly the last two or three years, without even recognizing it in the moment and then reflecting on it later and kind of having this moment of, oh, I actually really wasn't aware of how easy that was and how little stress it brought me. And that's a win. Some of these, I'm not going to give specific examples, but I would say certain quote unquote rules around food and body that I've had from a very young age that I didn't even realize were still things because they were so minimal in a sense. And just now being so much further into this recovery process and remission, just letting it go and not even really thinking about it and then becoming aware of it and having, again, that moment of like, oh, okay, that's amazing. I love that for me. And then some other things that I have recognized throughout this process is less black and white thinking and really welcoming and leaning into the gray area because most of recovery and remission is in the gray area because again, we're all different. And another thing that has gotten easier throughout the years is allowing the recognition of patterns that I still would like to work on and then allowing myself to be honest with myself around these and call myself out on them and say, hey, yeah, maybe maybe this is something that we would like to focus on and try to change or at least understand a little bit more. And I think that this ties back to the first lesson of chapters or levels of recovery or remission is that it's maybe a forever process. And this is probably different person to person. But for me, I think it is kind of this forever process. 10 years later, I'm still finding more chapters of life or levels to take on in my healing process. And while I'm overall much more comfortable and confident taking them on, it's still not easy. It's still uncomfortable. It still involves leaning into the discomfort and looking at it and seeing what's going on and seeing what isn't working and asking myself, how can I show up for myself better? Or how can I support myself better? And so it does get easier, but it is still hard sometimes. And then number 10, it's okay to not be okay, even once you are air quotes better. And if you have a lapse or a relapse, that does not mean that you have gone back to level one or lost all of your progress. I think number 10 is like a two for one because I'm pretty sure I just put two lessons in the same one and we're just going with it. They kind of tie in together. Anyways, asking for help or being honest about what's going on for you 
doesn't make you a failure. It makes you a human. We all have stuff going on and we are allowed to ask for help and receive support or whatever we need. And also, if you have had a lapse or relapse, you still have a lot of tools in your toolbox that you have learned throughout your process so far. And those don't just go away. They're still there. I think that emotions and feelings are normal and valid. And these things are going to show up and show us, clue us in of what's going on for us and what is and is not working. And the more that we can lean into them versus shutting them down, maybe the more beneficial they can actually be and helpful they can be instead of scary or fear-based. And the further into this process I get, the more I believe that things show up or crop up to show us and clue us in to what isn't working when we are ready. While the recovery process is a giant process, and once you're in it, you're in it, it is an unfolding of learning about yourself, learning about what works for you, learning about what doesn't work for you, learning about what you need to work on, maybe tuning into your body and allowing your body to give you some clues of maybe what's happened, what's gone on for you. The further I get into this process, honestly, the more I learn, which again, I think that things show up when we're ready. And so it is okay to not be okay even once you are air quotes better. It's okay to have emotions and feelings and to have things show up and to feel unsure and to even have a lapse or a relapse. This doesn't mean you're broken. This doesn't mean you're a failure. This doesn't mean that you're not working on yourself or bettering yourself or that you don't value recovery. It just means that you are a human and you are trying. And at the end of the day, you still have a lot of tools in your toolbox. And we're all just trying to keep going on this process. So it's okay to not be okay. And even if you are air quotes better, you're still allowed to not be okay all of the time. And on that note, that is today's episode. I hope that this was helpful for all of you in some capacity, whether you are in your own recovery process or in remission or recovered or a friend or family member of somebody that is in this process and maybe it helped to shed some light onto maybe what's going on for them. Or perhaps maybe you related some of these lessons to another area of life. Whatever it is, I hope it was helpful. And then just to close things out here, Monday Mindset. Monday Mindset is a weekly, on Mondays, email with a thought, question, or prompt to help you get your week started off with some fire under your tush to get and stay on your goals. If you would like to receive Monday Mindset emails, you can sign up at sarahlacorus.com forward slash news, which will be linked up in the show notes. Also, if you did find this episode or you find the Pursuing Endurance podcast, to be helpful for you or you enjoy listening and tuning in, I would love it if you could leave a five-star review either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, depending where you listen. And if you do listen over on Apple, if you would be so kind to take the time and leave a written review, those are just very beneficial to get the podcast into more ears. 
which is my ultimate goal so that I can keep helping more and more humans by way of this podcast. So thank you if you do take the time to leave a review. It really does mean a lot to me. And on that note, that is this episode. I hope that you are all doing well, taking care of yourselves, and I look forward to having another conversation again soon. Okay, bye.